This is the EPLOG audio experience. Hi, this is Kunal Kapoor and I'm the host for Podcast MD by Keto. Before we get into it, let me tell you how Podcast MD by Keto came about. As most of you may know, I'm also one of the founders of Keto, one of the country's leading crowdfunding platforms. Medical crowdfunding has been one of the biggest causes for us at Keto. Over 500 crores have been raised to successfully fund urgent medical cases and save lives. But sadly, the number of people in India not able to afford healthcare has only been rising. And so we've increased our focus on healthcare to make it more accessible and affordable. While being unable to secure funds for treatment is obviously one of the biggest concerns for both patient and their family. We found there were gaps beyond as well. When someone is suddenly hit with a serious medical condition, there's so much one isn't prepared for. One may or may not be prepared to handle the finances, but everything else that comes with it, one certainly isn't prepared for. And that's what podcast MD by Keto is about. Trying to understand everything around the emotional aspect, dealing with doctors in hospitals, making the difficult choices and just coping with it all. Another thing that we came to realize in working closely with healthcare was that in spite of increased efforts and awareness, the number of cancer related cases are only increasing. And so, we decided that in our first season, we're going to take on the big C. I'm going to be chatting with cancer survivors from different backgrounds to find out how they dealt with everything that comes with the disease. We want survivors to share their experiences as that could inspire and help others get through a difficult period in their life and also help them understand more about the disease. Also if you have a similar story that you think can be a source of inspiration to others, please write to us on mystory@keto.org. We would love to hear from you. Our guest for today is Pratima Mehta, a mother and caregiver. She lost her 4-year-old daughter Ira to cancer. A lover of books, she deeply cares about causes related to children and the environment. Having lost her daughter at the tender age of 4 to thalamic glioma, Pratima was keen on creating something positive for her loss. Her blog Mind of Mine aims to create awareness about thalamic glioma and rare cancers. She also highlights the challenges of palliative care and the importance of finding inner strength and compassion so thank you so much pratima for coming by and joining us uh, on this podcast and i know you've come a long way you come from pune yeah thank you so much for having me here i think i'm here more as ira's mother and that is the fact i think i would like to say with that yeah and no I, matter I, whether she is amongst us or not today right. but that is with me that i'm ira's mother right and i think uh, i mean you obviously have a really really important story to tell and uh, it's a story that uh, i feel really needs to reach out to people so thank you so much uh, i'm sure lots of people will be not only inspired but also informed by what we have to say here today i hope so so let's start right from the beginning you know ira's childhood what sort of child was she we come from a middle class family Right. I we stay in a joint family. I have my mother-in-law, my husband, my brother-in-law staying with my my parents stay in Pune. I have a younger sister, and I always wanted Ira to have a collective upbringing, hmm. and that is what she was. I think receiving it from you know by interacting Everybody. with everyone in the family. So 
she was a very very adorable child like mm. any other 3 year old is she was learning to dance she was learning to sing because that comes from her grandmother who is also a good singer mm. she loved to read books at time there were so many other activities that she liked doing a very very playful child she was i've heard some naughty stories about her mm-hmm. from her school teachers but yeah she was just a very playful cute child though i would say that she was mature for her age at many times mm-hmm. like you know i was working when ira was diagnosed and i was working part time but she saw me working at my laptop every day, single day and uh, when she was admitted to the hospital even before she underwent the surgery she was like mama where's your laptop hmm. why are you not working hmm. and i had to tell her that no i'm you know i'm not working these days now so and she, she was, was she was four when you all discovered that she had uh, cancer right she was 3 years old she was 3 years old she was exactly she turned 3 on the 1st of april and she was diagnosed on the 28th of april Oh, as soon as she turned three years old. Yes, and this was how many years back? This was in two thousand seventeen. Two thousand seventeen. So right. Ira's entire treatment lasted for about eighteen months, hmm. from her diagnosis in two thousand April two thousand seventeen uh, till eleven November two thousand eighteen. Right, and uh, were there any sort of particular symptoms that she was going through? I am glad that you brought this up, actually, because you know. as parents we generally miss out on very small signs that children show right as we get so busy in doing things for them in pursuing uh, our careers but ira had a very very small symptom and that was tremors in her left hand and okay. they were so minor that it was they were very easy to miss out right you could only notice them when she lifted a particular object or she held a glass of water probably that was the only time you could make out that you know there were slight tremors in her left hand mm. apart from that i think she had no other symptoms no other symptoms of you know a brain tumor patient right. no fever uh no problem in you know walking nothing at all so it was a sign that could have easily been missed out if as parents we were not persistent of you know getting it checked from a doctor and how long did these uh, symptoms last for before you noticed they them started or? in march right and uh, we saw a doctor in april when we thought that they are probably getting worse okay so that is the time we first showed a pediatrician right then he referred us to a neurologist who said that In fact, the neurologist was also very cool. He's like, I don't see a problem uh, with her, but just to go by the book, right? To rule out any Anything. other possibility, let us get a MRI done, hmm. and that is when we realized that she has a thalamic glioma, hmm. and it was as big as the size of a table tennis ball, hmm. which is pretty big, hmm. and it. was a cause of concern for the doctors for two reasons one it had started suppressing her vision hmm. and for two it was causing a pressure on the brain right so that was the main reason the doctors were worried that if it increases further it might hamper her vision or cause a change in the balance of her brain fluid right 
and uh, when you first met the doctor what did he tell you what was what was the information that he gave you when when the results came so uh, the doctors when they saw the reports they were very uh, surprised themselves because right. she showed no symptom right. no symptom at all he, he he stood like you know across the corridor from her asked her to walk down the corridor dance down the corridor you know uh, make out colors and she did it everything perfectly well mm. so they were very surprised that she has a tumor and she's not showing any signs so they thought that it might be a benign one mm. so if it is uh, a benign one it could be easily removed right if it is a malignant one which they would come to know only upon doing a biopsy right so the doctor was very clear that we will do a biopsy if the reports of the biopsy say that it is grade 1 we can operate it if it is grade 2 it will be operation and a chemotherapy if it is anything beyond that grade 3 or 4 we're not going to touch it and it was very clearly uh, informed by the doctor and because they felt like if it is grade 3 then there's no point yeah, putting the child through this through this and uh, probably uh, i think it may be attached that tumor was attached to her thalamus hmm. which you know governs your entire sensory system in right. your body very important part of your nervous system so i think they did not want to put her through something that will leave her in a very poor condition right that is the reason why they had very clearly informed to us what happened though was the reports that came off of the biopsy hmm. at the hospital they said grade 1 okay and um, so we wanted to take a second opinion on the biopsy report so we sent them out to tata huh. so tata also said grade 1 and we had the operation to which she did not respond well so she suffered from seizure post the operation hmm. then she had involuntary movements hmm. and it kept on getting worse thereafter hmm so somehow we were not convinced of the reports that uh, the tumor is grade 1 so we had multiple interactions with the pathology department at tata hospital hmm. so their final report came in july 2017 ira was operated in may 2017 this was after after her operation after her operation the re- results came in which said that you know the the tumor is grade 4 my god so they thought it was grade 1 grade 1 and it turned out to be grade 4 yes. So this so is actually an, she, she should have not should gone not through the surgery. She should not have been operated. So this is another thing that uh, I would like to emphasize that two things. One, if a person is diagnosed with a brain tumor, hmm. he should ideally seek the help of an oncologist right. first, and then if the oncologist says that you know you have to go to a neurosurgeon, fine, but first seek the help of an oncologist that is how this works even abroad right here we generally tend to think that a brain tumor is just an extra piece in your brain and right. you can probably just remove it surgically but it may have some severe complications later on hmm. that is one and two whenever there's a biopsy done a tissue sample that is analyzed histopathologically i think there should be two opinions on right. it always and better to go to a 
cancer specialized hospital where day in and day out they are looking at samples of cancer tissue hmm. so they are probably better aware of you know what type of tumor it is going to be right. rather than any other normal hospital so i mean if you had to do it differently this is what you would do i would i would yeah. i would first go to an oncologist and i would have had her histopath report done twice before we put her through the right surgery right yeah. and usually i mean what happens is that people just uh take the opinion of one person and then they just go ahead with the treatment uh which which i mean eventually you are of course going to get treated but it is important to get multiple opinions, opinions. When, yes. especially when you're doing something as big and you know as important as a surgery this so the other thing is the place where ira was operated is like one of the best places in mumbai right the doctor himself is one of the best neurosurgeons in india i would hmm. say so we thought there would not be anything that would go wrong with right. it but you never really know what can happen hmm. so if not for the post operative complications that she had she had a very severe brain infection post her surgery which took like one and a half month to subside hmm. and which is the major cause of ira not responding after that hmm. so there are these small things that you know need to be taken care of that need to be factored in right. when you are putting a person through a treatment so after the surgery it was all just downhill from there was it it was all downhill it was all downhill for four months i right. would say so in the entire span of 18 months for four months we were still thinking of treating her in some kind of way hmm. so that she would be you know okay right so for us the scenarios kept changing the diagnosis itself was a shock to us right no one in my family my paternal or my maternal side has ever had cancer right so it was a shock to us and going from there the diagnosis then the treatment that happened as a mother i i some sometimes felt that you know ira might be left with some kind of disability hmm. because of so much trauma to her brain right but i had never thought that ira would not recover out of mm. it mm. and this was a fact which i think should have been very clearly conveyed to us yeah very clearly that you know there's not much that we can do and you should think of other kind of treatment for ira just to make sure that she's comfortable right. and that is when i think palliative care comes into yeah. picture and we were we were also talking about uh, how you know you feel like the doctors don't communicate enough is very important for the doctors to really sort of take you through step by step what they think it is it uh, is not only is the prognosis but also what what are the possible risks and you know what can go right what can go wrong but you feel like you know sometimes there's not enough communication and you know we are educated people we still have a chance of asking questions there's a lot of people out there that are not even educated so they don't even know what's going on correct so uh, because of my education i was able to understand what the doctors are talking about what the treatment course might be right and in turn i was able to relay that to my family members right but i don't think everybody understands what the doctor is trying to say and 
whether the doctor has the time to converse with the mm. patient and the family that is another big question because mm. they're so busy, busy with so many so the entire system should actually have someone if not the doctor some counselor who is aware of the medical condition and who handholds the patient and the family through the entire treatment right it is the right of the family to be educated about the treatment yeah it is about everything yeah related to the disease to the treatment and what kind of care they can give to the patient only then can we appropriately say that the family has made an informed decision informed decision yeah it should not be just about the doctor saying something and the family just following yeah. it and in fact out west uh, you know they always have counselors yeah. that you speak to and you know that make you understand what's going on you yeah, actually the doctors expected to do everything so i think it's really important to have those counselors it is very important and also coming to the palliative care like you said is that's uh, a really really important aspect and people don't really understand how important that can be so palliative care is generally thought of as end of life care hmm but i think it is life care hmm what you're doing in palliative care is you are trying to improve the quality of life of the patient hmm. due to the illness due to the symptoms there is going to be the medicinal part to it hmm. where the symptoms are taken care of symptomatic management of the disease there is the other part where the care is given by the family members hmm. you have to take care of so many uh, things and the other thing is compassion hmm. if you're doing it it should come from your heart it should not be done just for the sake of taking care of a person even if the person is your family member or not but it should be done with your full heart hmm. and what sort of uh, palliative care did you guys seek ira was in palliative care for around 14 months hmm. and it was very very important to us because she had several neurological problems which were not actually a part of the disease that is cancer mm. they had developed because of the tumor the tumor mm. and the surgery and the several post operative complications but she had several neurological problems day by day they were getting very difficult for us to deal with so um, we sought help from sipla uh, palliative center in pune mm. the medical director at that point of time hmm. was a pediatric palliative specialist okay. so it was even more helpful for us because she knew the exact uh, dosages that could be given to a child and what was the treatment that can be given so that she is just more comfortable she's hmm. out of pain right that was very very important for us at that point of time like i said it changed over the while it the picture changed for us right. because we thought that we wanted her to recover yeah. but when we were told that no, she's not going to recover hmm. we were i think more open to giving her only the minimal treatment that yeah. was required to ensure that she was in no pain but uh, did somebody suggest palliative care to you it was suggested by a neurologist a huh. pediatric neurologist uh, at a hospital in pune and uh, she was very very open to us about you know what ira is actually going through so she went as far as 
telling us that you should look at options like do not ventriculate and do not resuscitate mm. DNR and DNV. Mm. Mm. So you should think about those options for her mm. when the time comes. Mm. But you should have them at the back of your mind because she is in a very terrible condition. Mm. The pain that she's going through is something that can be physically seen, but she cannot even express. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, it was suggested to us by a, a neurologist at a hospital in Pune and it helped us a lot. It was a blessing. And how was it a blessing? Can you take us through the process of what palliative care involves? So, we ha- we initially admitted Ira to the Sipla Palliative Center, mm. which is actually a social cause driven by Sipla Foundation. Okay. And since we did not want to stay in any more hospitals than what we were in because we had a long hospital stay for two and a half months. Mm. So we had opted for home care. So every 15 days, we had a doctor and a medical social worker from the palliative center come home, Mm. check upon her treatment, upon any development of probably new symptoms. Mm. And if there was something that we could not deal with, we just had to call them and, you know, they were there at home. So it was really, really helpful because I did not have to take Ira to the center hmm. again and again, given her condition. Hmm. And what sort of treatment was she going through at this point of time? She was only on drugs which relieved her pain right. or which managed her neurological symptoms. That's it. That's it. No other treatment. There was no so other treatment. So we, we had even opted for alternative medicine like Ayurveda, hmm. homeopathic. We had tried pranic healing. Right. There is also a Japanese uh, technique which is called as mahikari, hmm. which is like giving light to the patient, creating positivity in the patient or the person. Right. So we had several alternative medicines that we tried. But I think when we decided, and it was a very, very difficult decision right. to take, a decision that, you know, we are not going to give her any further treatment. Arriving at that point was very difficult for us. So... Post that, she was on very, very minimal Hmm. medicines, which just helped her relieve her pain, Hmm. manage her neurological symptoms so that she was comfortable. And the entire treatment post her hospitalization was at home. So we managed it at home completely. And how did you all reach this decision? Who all were involved in making this decision? So like I said, you know, if I wanted Ida to have a collective upbringing, Right. And I think my entire family was very supportive and they were all involved in taking this decision. It was hard for each one of us, for Ira's father, for her grandparents, for her aunt. It was difficult for each one of us. Sure. But I think it was a collective decision that we took that, you know, because we could see that she's going through a lot and yep. there was really no point in putting her through another kind of curative treatment just with the hopes that she might recover because right. there was really nothing more that can be done. Her right. MRI also clearly showed that. So that was, I think, a decision that all of us took together. Hmm. And the journey till here wouldn't have been possible without my family and my friends. Right. They were very, very supportive. I have, like, it's beyond words right. that how supportive they have been. And also, I mean, people don't realize how difficult it is for the caregiver as well. I mean, you also obviously need that support to keep going because it's 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 such a difficult time. You know, you're seeing somebody that you love go through so much. 
So even you actually require so much uh, support and help. It is required. Uh, I won't deny that when you're going through a rough patch, you require a lot of support, hmm. a lot of strength, and you require people around whom you can just rely on hmm. to be there. Hmm. In my case, initially, it was difficult for the entire family because we were all in the same boat. Ira was the first child in our family. Hmm. So it was difficult for all of us to see her going through all this. Hmm. But at the same point of time, I think we pitched in wherever it was required. Hmm. Whenever I was tired, my mother-in-law pitched in to take care of certain things. Whenever my husband was tired, I pitched in. Hmm. He, We took turns managing everything. Hmm. So that was a big relief. One single person cannot take care of a patient day in and day out, 24 right. by 7. That is not healthy even for the caregiver. Yeah. So it is the right of the caregiver to be emotionally healthy, physically healthy and mentally healthy. Oh, that's so important because, you know, you don't realize, you feel like as a caregiver, the more you give, the better it is. But you also have to take care of yourself at the same time. No? Yes, you have to. I always thought that we have been so embroiled in all of this. Let me take care of Ira at all times so that others are left to pursue their own life. Hmm. But it does not happen that way. There came a point where my mental health was spiraling down. Hmm. I, I could not take it anymore. So I, I told my family, I am going to seek help. Hmm. It is, I need to talk to somebody. Not because I cannot talk to my family. Yeah. I can talk to them. But they are in the same boat as I am in. They right. are going through the same emotion. So it's always better to talk to somebody, a third person probably. And therapy helped me a lot. It helped me a lot. Just talking to uh, the counsellor that I went to, hmm. just you know, speaking my heart out, just letting the emotions rush, I think yeah. that helped me a lot. That was one thing. And the other thing when I think I decided to start writing about it. Right. I decided that, you know, we should share the experience that we have been through so that others do not do the same mistakes, mistakes. probably. They are better aware of mm. uh, about everything. They're better able to cope with the mm. situation. Mm. So that is when I started uh, writing on mindofmind.co.in. That was in April when uh, I started writing, April 2018. And it's not easy. You know, when you write, you think about everything that you have been through again and again. You don't want to send out a wrong message mm. out there. Mm. But at the same time, you want to make people more aware of how they can do the right thing. Yeah, you don't want people to make the same mistakes yes. that you've made. But at the same time, is it very difficult to write about it? It or? is. It is very difficult. Because it is about reliving everything. Yes, it is about reliving everything. And you don't really get over it. Mm, as in, yeah. Uh, it's been a year that Ira hasn't been amongst us now. Yeah. But there are days when you can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. There are days when you get desperate for her. Mm. I get desperate to hear her voice, to you know probably play with her. Mm. But you have to overcome all that. Mm. There was a time when I was so depressed that I would not have had got out of my bed if not if I did not have to have to take care of Ira. Mm. So it was so depressing at that point of time. But writing helped me a lot. The family support was there. I started running uh, also. So mm. that was like, you know, 
letting all the negativity out of my body right so that helped me a lot too so i mean writing was obviously emotionally therapeutic but you yes. said you also went for therapy and then there was also exercise which yes helped you cope with it besides the family of course yes and uh, looking back uh, you know when you were writing your blog did you feel like you know if i had to do something completely differently uh, these are the things that i would do in the treatment see like i said we went to one of the best neurosurgeons in the country right so we never had a doubt that he would not do his job right, right. so that was never the concern we in fact thought that you know the fact that we discovered her tremors at the right point of time which led in turn to her diagnosis right. at that stage and we thought that things are going well yeah well, they also in said terms it was of, grade 1 yeah yeah so we never had a doubt that they would spiral down so much hmm. but if not for the type of tumor it was hmm. and the complications that it brought with it i think she would have been better right so there is a need to be aware of the rare type of cancers also hmm. thalamic glioma is most commonly seen in children but it is a very rare kind of brain tumor and depending upon the grade it is decided whether or not to you know actually touch the tumor right so in terms of treatment i don't think we could have done, done anything, anything differently. differently but yes i think I, i i just wish i had mental support as an a counselor hmm. at that point of time also when we were actually treating her uh, which eventually i went to a therapist so yeah. no but I, like you're saying i mean it's very important to have a counselor attached to the hospital it is it is uh, to absolutely know exactly what important. you're going through yes and you know we've been saying that we are educated people we can still understand uh, you know it's very difficult for a person that doesn't really have any sort of knowledge of what the possibilities are so, and the doctors have limited time to explain to yes, them yes yes i'll just give you an example i uh, volunteer at a palliative center hmm. so I started volunteering at Sipla Palliative Center in February. It was very difficult going back to the place where Ira was. But when I talked to the people there and when they talked to me knowing that I'm just a volunteer, I am not a doctor, I am not associated with the center or I'm not giving them any advice about the disease or the mm. treatment, they're more open. Hmm. they are very open they want to talk about all sort of things they want to talk about regrets they want to talk about their family life hmm. they have so much to talk about and right. i think that helps them uh, that causes a lot of relief hmm. for them just having somebody to talk to who is not going to have any agenda agenda yes yeah because you tend to think that you know people that are coming to talk to you actually uh are doing it because they want to treat you in a certain yes, way or yes. they want you to take more medication Correct. or they want you to go through a surgery so it's it's very important to have somebody that you can speak to like you had your therapist actually yes yes without any agenda I, n- no agendas yeah so i i was very clear to her like i was like i'm not here for any kind of medication i just want to talk to somebody hmm. apart from my family hmm. and it was really really helpful hmm. very helpful Are you still working with the palliative center? I am. Yeah. I am. I'm vol- I volunteer there every Friday. Okay. Uh afternoons. So it it works both the way actually. If it's satisfying to me right. that I'm helping them in some way because I can understand what they're going through. Yeah. 
at the same time, I think they are a part of my healing process yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. I was that, just going to come to that. Yes, is that they are a part of my healing heal process well. too. I re- I've realized that how privileged I was in terms of family support, mm. in terms of knowledge of the disease, in terms of finances for the treatment. Mm. Not many people are. So yeah. what we actually need in our medical system is a reform. Mm. We need the treatment to be made more affordable, mm. more accessible and more compassionate right. for the patients and the families. But it is uh, expensive to treat cancer and to go through a surgery and like you said, be in hospital for two and a half months. Uh, so that must have been difficult as well, no? financially. It was, it was. So we had admitted Ira to a private ward mm. and we had assumed that nothing can go wrong. You don't really think that anything can go wrong. Sure. So we thought that 15 days and, you know, we should be back home. But when we saw that, you know, our expenses had reached around like 15 lakhs or so mm. in a span of one month, we were in a kind of a shock. So we ran a crowdfunding campaign also. Mm. And uh, we were not really sure at that point of time how helpful that is going to be. But nevertheless, we thought we should give it a try. Mm. So we ran the crowdfunding uh, campaign and I think we were able to raise around 21 lakhs in two days. Oh, that's great. In two days? In two days. Wow. So, you know, when you have the finances taken care of, I think you, you can focus more, concentrate more on the patient yeah. on the treatment and everything related to it and not worry about you know that you are being drained of your finances yeah. of your savings yeah. and that is another thing it it should be more affordable to everybody there's such a deep valley in every hospital if you you admit a patient to a private ward apart from the room charges you are being charged for every single thing that comes at a very less cost or free in a general ward. Yeah. The doctor's visiting charges in a private ward are different than what they are in sure. a general ward. A nebulization machine in a private ward will cost you 300, 400 bucks a day. Hmm. As compared to a general ward, it will be free for the children yeah. or at a yeah. nominal charge. Yeah. Why the difference? I'm already paying so much for a private ward, right. for the room. Right. But there there is this difference which makes it unaffordable for the patients and the families. The huge disparity between... Very huge. Very huge. The doctor's visits. The doctor's visit. Every the other, the, uh, Everything. Even there are nurse charges, nursing charges that are there in a private ward. And it really drains you. Hmm. It drains you. You want to give the best kind of treatment out there possible hmm. for your patient. But you're not able to give because... Money is a big factor. Yeah. Here. Yeah. So the two things that we really have to actually deal with is affordability. Yes. And compassion. Yes. And the palliative care is obviously free, is it? Or is there some very nominal sort of charge attached uh, to so, it? So uh, there are centers which give palliative care treatment as a social service. Mm. There are others which charge you a nominal fees for their services. So it all depends upon where you can actually avail it. Yeah. But there are palliative centers across India, which I, I think not many are aware of. Yeah. And people need to be more aware 
of where to stop the treatment. Yeah. More is better is not the way. Hmm. You have to draw the line between, okay, beyond this point, the patient is not going to be able to bear all that. Yeah, actually making the patient suffer. Yeah, you're actually making the patient suffer. Hmm. It is important at that point of time to focus on the quality of life of the patient rather than trying to prolong the life. There was a, a recent paper that came out in 2010, research paper, which said that patients in palliative care actually lived three to six months longer Hmm. than patients who are going through the treatment. Right. So I think, yes, the research is out there. You just need to be more aware about it. Yeah, in fact, I had uh, I had a relative that was, that was diagnosed with cancer and uh, the doctor said, you know, look, there's no way that he's going to recover now. And uh, I remember that he used to love eating well and drinking. Mm. So he said, I suggest that you allow him to eat what he wants to eat and have a drink or two. Because uh, it doesn't matter whether he's alive for five, six months or three months. Correct. What's important is that that three months is... He's happy living yeah, it. Yeah. So I think that's a really important point is to know when to stop the treatment. Yes. Because after a point, you're actually making the patient suffer. Suffer more. Rather than giving a quality of life. There yeah. should be some kind of dignity yeah. in death too. Yeah. You cannot... Uh, just go on treating a patient, make the patient suffer. Right. As a caregiver, as a family, you need to also understand that the patient is, whatever the patient is going through is far more worse yep. than what you are suffering. Yeah. You have to, you know, empathize. You have to be in the place of that person. Yeah. I think that will enable the family to take a much better informed decision about whether to seek palliative care, where to st- draw the line. So if there is any uh, caregiver out there right now that's going through a similar thing, what is the advice that you would give them? I would uh, like to tell them that, you know, it is equally important to take care of yourself, mm. to take care of yourself mentally, emotionally and physically. Right. Find some time in the day for yourself. Mm. It can be for anything, for for half an hour, for whatever activity that you like to do, but that will ensure that you are able to cope with the situation. It's never easy. It's never easy as a caregiver, whether you are a mother, whether Mm. you're a daughter, whether you're a father, or as a parent, but you have to cope with it. You have no other option. Giving up is not an option. So you have to cope with it. So you might as well deal with it in a better way, in a more healthy way. Hmm. And to do that, do whatever you have to. Take some time off from caregiving. Put somebody in charge. But at the same time, you you have to make sure that everything is going right for the person, for the patient. So being emotionally, mentally and physically healthy as a caregiver is more important because it will not only help in the treatment of the patient, but it will also help the family members cope. So when my family saw that I am doing well, or I'm thinking much more positively, I think they were able to deal with it also positively. Yeah, because otherwise there's a sense of guilt almost that is involved, right? Because you feel like if you're not... Constantly taking care of the patient. Yes, yes. You, you feel guilty. 
if you, you like are away should... from the child if as a working mother yeah. if i am away from my child for like half a day you ride on guilt mothers yeah. do that all the time parents right. do that all the time like i'm not giving enough time to my child that is so guilt is always there but mm. you have to find that time for yourself just to make sure that yeah. you know you are helping yourself and the family and the patient cope right lovely thank you thank you so much for being here thank and you thank you so much for this wonderful insightful talk and i'm sure like i said uh, you know there's a lot of people that will uh, draw a lot of strength from this i hope so i hope the message reaches out to a lot of people uh, if at any point they need any help uh, about how to take care of a patient how to approach a treatment it is there on my blog they can read out they can reach out to me uh, via email or facebook uh, there's a facebook page of mind of mine also so mindofmine.co.in .co.in yes right thank you thank you so much thank you so much for listening and we'll be back soon with a new episode you can catch podcast md by keto on all the major platforms like apple podcast spotify google podcast jio savan and hub hopper you can also find it on eplog.media our production partner please send us your feedback on twitter using hashtag #podcastmdketo leave us a review rating on itunes and make sure you subscribe to the show goodbye thank you